Again, my name is Logan. I'm the lead pastor here at LMCC. Uh, before I get into uh, the second message in our giving series, uh, I just have one announcement. Right after our service, starting about five minutes after, uh, we have our uh, annual or semi-annual, depending on the year, uh, vision meeting, where as a congregation we come together to say, let's look back and celebrate God's faithfulness, and then let's look ahead and dream together of what God could do in our community. Childcare will continue, so you don't have to run off to grab your kids. Those of you who have kids, you're like, thank you. Um, for the rest of you, we just invite you to grab coffee and then come sit back down. And whether this is your first time or LMCC is your church family, we believe that it's not by accident that you're here on this Sunday. We're for a vision meeting. And so we'd love for you to stay and join us for that. All right, this is the second episode of our giving series, Rich Generosity. But I do want to pray that chorus for us and then hop into my message. So pray with me. Father, Son, Spirit, heal our hearts, make us clean, own up our eyes to the things unseen, show us how to live and love like you have loved us. Where we need it, break our hearts because it breaks yours. Make us where everything we are is for your kingdom's cause as we walk from this moment towards you into eternity. I pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Uh, so I have come to believe that everyone is a pastor and that every one of your jobs is pastoral ministry. Um, and as you start to chew on, like, no, that's not true of me or my job, let me give you a few instances where it's clear that you're involved in pastoral ministry, whether you like it or not. Uh, parenting, if you have kids, you are in pastoral ministry. You are teaching, instructing, you are supporting and loving, you are caring and comforting. You're in pastoral ministry. Other jobs are easy to see. Teacher, for sure. Therapist, absolutely. Um, these things are all pastoral ministry, but the, more, the reason I've come to that is because of conversations I've had on the sidelines of soccer games. One recently with someone who's a real estate broker. Uh, I said, do you like your job? And she said, I love it. I said, what do you love about your job? And she said, there's always a story. Every single time I show someone an apartment, there's a reason they're looking. And there's a story, a family transition, a hope and a dream that I get to be a part of seeing that come to reality pastoral ministry. But the first time I really thought about it was with a conversation of one of my son's friend's dads, because he would take calls on the sidelines. Uh, he works in wealth management. And over the course of the pandemic, the volatility of the market <laughs> caused people to not only go crazy with the market, but go crazy because of the market. The emotional highs and falls. That didn't happen to the rest of us. It only happened in wealth management, for sure. But one of the times he took a phone call and I could hear the entire conversation. And he got off the phone and he joined me back next on the sideline. And I said, you and I have the same job. <laughs> and he was like, no, we don't. I was like, yes, I, I just heard you counsel someone through their emotional response to events outside of their control to then make a decision for the good of their future. We have the same job. <laughs> and I said, so from now on, I'm just gonna tell people I'm in wealth management. Mm -hmm. And they might say, well, how are your returns? I'm be like, they're really good. <laughs> Infinite, eternal. They're like, how do I get in on that? I'm like, you need to get in on this. It's pretty good. 
Wealth management. I start that way because that's the title of today's, management, uh, today's message, is wealth management. That the idea at the core of giving your tithes and offerings to God is that you are managing the wealth that God has given to you. That what you have received, he is asking you to be faithful and steward it in a direction back to him. And so he's asking you and I today, have you been good wealth managers? And what would it be for you to become good wealth managers? Last week, we talked about investment, that giving to God is investment in the true life that he promises. The challenge was that you would give like no one else in order that you would live like no one else to enjoy the true abundant life that God has. And by wealth management, what I want to unpack for us today is this sentence, acceptable offerings receive rewards. That acceptable offerings back to God receive rewards from God. Now this idea that you can do something that is acceptable to God could rise up a few emotions in you. One could be fear. How will I ever know if God is pleased with me? The other is skepticism and even cynicism. Like, oh great, the judge of the sky gets to tell me what I've done right or wrong. Here we go again. Now as I've wrestled with that idea of saying acceptable offerings receive rewards, I see it more as God's goodness. That you don't have to be confused about whether God is pleased with you or not because he says, this is what pleases me. It's like you're being in a relationship and someone says, I feel loved in this way. And you're like, but I don't want to do it in that way. <laughs> well, then they're not going to be loved in that way, right? God is so clear and good. Our God is. Because there are other religions that aren't as clear. There are other religions that you don't know until the very end whether or not God is happy with you or sad. Or if you've done enough until that final moment. But God is good enough to say, you don't have to wait to know whether I love you or whether I'm pleased with you or what, you, what you're doing is something I want you to do. I'm very clear. And so that's what I want to unpack for us is that God is clear about what acceptable offerings are. And he's inviting you to give them. And he promises rewards in return. Now I want to turn to some scripture to show you what I mean. Because the, one of the areas we see this language of acceptable offerings, we see it all throughout the scriptures, was actually in Philippians, which is what we just studied in our series, Successful Spirituality. In Philippians chapter 4, Paul is saying, I'm content, I don't need the money, but I want you to see what your giving does. Paul says, not that I sought your gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. I've received payment in full and more. I'm well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Paul is using language that is used around every single offering passage in the entirety of Scripture. From the first offering that happens, he talks about whether it's acceptable. The second offering with Noah that happens, he talks about this fragrant offering of them just burning 
the things that God has given to him, that he is so pleased that they would just waste in our mind an offering saying, I just want to bless you. With Abram, who is the first introduction of the tithe, he is like, yes, that's acceptable and I rejoice in it. As Abraham was trying to declare, I trust in you to give me riches, not in the world. He was pleased. It's the language that is used throughout the scriptures. And I want to show you that first offering language because it is very clear that you and I have a choice and a struggle when it comes to these things. And so in Genesis chapter 4, we see the story of Cain and Abel. These are the first two children of Adam and Eve, and they have a, a wrestling match over who's better, and then Cain ultimately kills Abel, but he kills him around this idea of acceptable offerings. It says, when it was time for harvest, Cain presented some of his crops as a gift to the Lord. Abel also brought a gift, the best portions of the firstborn lambs from his flock. The Lord accepted Abel and his gift, but he did not accept Cain and his gift. And this made Cain very angry, and he looked dejected. All right, pause for a second. One son did what was right. One son didn't. Who does God go towards? Let's see. God goes towards Cain, and he says, Why are you so angry? Why do you look so dejected? You will be accepted if you do what is right. But if you refuse to do what is right, then watch out. Sin is crouching at the door, eager to control you, but you must subdue it and be its master. Two options. An acceptable and right way. A struggle and a sinful way. And at the core of this series is this battle in your own heart today. The battle of being like Cain or being like Abel. And what I want you to see is God saying the issue is sin and whether it controls you. It's not that you have money, but the question is, does money have you? Does money own you? Is it crouching and trying to control how you feel, how you think, what you live for, how you leverage all of your energy? He says, my hope is that your actions lead to greater freedom. Because Jesus reiterates this. He says, if you come to me and do what I say, there is life abundantly. But if you turn and follow sin, it is destructive. This is what it says in John chapter 10. Jesus says, I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. There's the voice of God saying, come find pasture and rest and trust in me. And there's the voice of the thief, the devil, the enemy, sin, saying, trust in me. And it's ultimately just trying to control and master you. One serving you, one destroying you. And that's at the heart of this struggle. And so I want to look at the question of what makes you a good wealth manager. Because God wants you to be a good wealth manager. He wants to bless you with wealth and increasing wealth. He's after that. Primarily because he wants you to be like him. And God is the best wealth manager. He's not just good at his job. He is the best at his job. He is the creator of wealth. He is the manager and steward of wealth. He loves to know where wealth should be distributed and how it can grow. 
He is a great wealth manager. So what makes a good wealth manager? It's the combination of professional excellence and personal care. That a good financial wealth manager has investment knowledge, able to analyze the patterns of the market, able to analyze the way you can leverage your assets in such a way that they will grow over time to not just create a little bit of wealth, but generational wealth is the hope for many of these wealth managers. That you would have blessings that could pass on from one generation to the next. But it's not just that they're good at their job. It's they're good at caring about your goals. That they get invested with what you're after. What you want your dreams and your life to look like. And they go for alignment towards your assets being leveraged towards your goals. And I challenge you to consider anyone better than God at both of those things. He is the one that created the world and everything in it. Which means he's the author of every industry. He is the original artist. He is the original financial manager. He is the original one. And then he goes on to say, I personally care. That's what he said with Richly Provides last week. That he comes up close and personal. Knowing what you want. Knowing what you need, even beyond what you want. And then aligning it together. And so the question for you today is, are, how are you doing at managing your wealth? And Jesus asked that question a lot. He actually presented parables, parables of the talents and the minas, where he said, God's given you five or two or one. How have you managed it? And to those who managed the wealth well and multiplied it, he says, well done, my good and faithful servant. I will give you more abundance. And to those who said, I was afraid you were going to be angry. I did nothing with it. He said, well, bad news. What you have is being taken and given to those who will be faithful with it. Now, when you and I hear wealth, I do want you to be careful to only put it in monetary terms. I'm not talking about just the 1% today. I'm talking about how God views wealth, which is one more reason why he's the best wealth manager. Because he looks at the wealth he's created in you as diverse and his most treasured possession. The wealth of your body, the wealth of your skills, the wealth of your possessions and your money. This is encompassed in his understanding of true wealth, the wealth of your soul. And he's saying, how are you managing all of those things? But he makes a direct correlation with how you manage your money to how you manage your heart. He says, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. That's where that song that Alice and Karen wrote, you know, my heart will follow. That's where it was birthed in, the story of generosity within this community. That if you give your treasures to God, your heart will run after it. He knows that there is one way to unlock you faster and easier than anywhere else, and if you release your money to him. And so I want to dig in on acceptable offerings today. And with the acceptable offerings idea, I want to unpack that acceptable offerings and receive rewards. And I want you to see that acceptable offerings involve your attitude and the amount you give. It involves both. But it begins with your attitude. See, attitude is that giving begins with an attitude of heart, not an assessment of your accounts. That when you hear God say give, you don't go, well, do I have anything to give? He says, no, assess your heart. Where is your heart at as I ask you to give to me? 
Because he knows that there are attitudes that hold you back and hold you captive. And there's attitudes that free you up and cause you to move forward in this life. And so I want to show you two bad attitudes that God highlights and one good attitude that he's after for you. The first bad attitude is what I'll call agenda givers. Agenda givers are those who love to have strings attached to their money. They'll say, if it matches my passion, if it matches my cause, if you are doing what I think is right and good, I will give money to you. And when it comes to the church, there's a challenge with most of us of, do I trust this church? And there's valid reasons that you've experienced distrust. And I get that. But what we're attempting to do is not say, do you trust us, but do you trust God? That's what we're attempting to do, to try to get out of the way, to stop being a hindrance to you receiving this relationship with God of giving to Him. The worst agenda givers in the Bible are the Pharisees. Jesus, in confronting them, says, Woe to you, you hypocrites! Because you do one good thing, you tithe even of your vegetable gardens, your mint, your dill, you're pulling off the leaves and you're throwing it into the offering. Fantastic. But you neglect justice and mercy. See, their agenda was religious activity, but it was not a loving activity. And so they gave in one way. And they said, I'll give as long as God is pleased with this way. I'll give that route. But when he's calling me to do this, no, I'm not going to do that. And the challenge for you and I is to come to God with our offerings, trusting that he's going to be the one that handles whoever does whatever they do with it. He's just looking at you, going, will you give it to me? And then I'll talk to them about how they're supposed to steward it. The easiest and smallest example of this is, and, I, and this is when everyone's going to feel really guilty for a second, but hey, we're all guilty in some form or fashion, and I'm here to free you from guilt today too. Think about when you walk by someone that's homeless on the streets. Have you not heard this narrative of, well, what are they going to do with it, right? What are they going to do with the money I give them? Or what are they going to do with the food that I give them? What are they going to do with it? But if you feel compelled to give, what does it matter? That's a very tiny example. But when it comes to giving to the church, what we are challenging and encouraging you to consider is to give freely so that you can receive freely from God. And we're just a means to that end. We're just the, we're just the middleman so that you receive and trust in God. Agenda givers. Now, I'll be honest with you, agenda giving has never been an issue for me. And part of that is that I don't think my agendas are all that great. I question like, my ideas and what I'm after because I just have a ton of ideas. And 90% of the time, they're bad. So it's easy for me to not feel like an agenda giver. But this second attitude is my bigger struggle. And that's anxiety givers. Anxiety is a struggle of mine in every area, including giving. And in anxiety giving, there's questions that come up. Will I have enough? Will God actually provide if I let go of these resources? These, these resources matter to me. They, they are meaningful to what I want to happen in my life. That's one side. See, anxiety givers ask questions before they give, while they're giving, and after it's given. <laughs> before they're like, I don't know. I, I mean, I guess I could trust him with it, but will I have enough? As they're giving, they're like, this check matters. Oh, no, there's the numbers. They're gone. And they're like, what will happen now? Will God actually come through? 
there's a flip side to anxiety givers, and it's a fear-based giving because you think God might be mad at you if you don't do it. That you're like, man, I better do this because like, if I don't, he won't really bless me. He won't really care for me. He won't really provide for me. God doesn't want you to live in that space. Either wondering if he'll provide or fearful that you have to do something conditionally to provide. And there's a tension. I know that. Because God's unconditional love is forever and true. But he does seem to say his abundance is conditional. That if you want his abundant life, there's things you need to do with your body. There's things you need to do with your mind, your soul, and your money to receive that abundant life. But he doesn't want you to live in fear towards him. So those are the two bad attitudes, but so let's get to the great attitude, and that's that you would become a freedom giver, which he means a heart that is willingly, cheerfully, and joyfully giving to God. Here's how he puts it in 2 Corinthians chapter 9. 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 6 through 10 says, Remember this, a farmer who plants only a few seeds will get a small crop, but the one who plants generously will get a generous crop. You must each decide in your heart how much to give. And don't give reluctantly or in response to pressure, for God loves a person who gives cheerfully. And God will generously provide all you need. Then you will always have everything you need and plenty left over to share with others. As the scriptures say, they share freely and give generously to the poor. Their good deeds will be remembered forever. For God is the one who provides seed for the farmer and then bread to eat. In the same way, he will provide and increase your resources and then produce a great harvest of generosity in you. See, the freedom giver has something that happens inside them and around them. There is a work that God does in your soul and in your heart where you become a generous, joyful, cheerful person. The person we want to be nonstop And we're only half the time, maybe, if we're lucky. But then he says there's abundance that comes around you, too. So much so that you're just ready to give and you have more. The abundant life, as he describes it. So there is an attitude that God is after. He is after an attitude in your heart. Now let's get to the tricky one, which is the amount. The amount that God wants you to give. How much is too much? How much is not enough? How much does God want you to give to him? God wants you to give to him the amount he asks with the attitude of a freedom giver. He just wants you to give back to him what he asks of you. And so the question is, what does he ask of you? And one of the clearest asks throughout the scripture is that of what's known as the tithe which is 10% of your income that you are giving back to him. That what you have received, whatever you have received, that you are taking a tenth of that and giving it back. Let's do a little bit of math. So I got a slide for you. A tithe of $250 equals 25. 2,500, 250. 25,000, 2,500. 250,000, 25,000. Two and a half million dollars 250,000, 25 million dollars, you're like, give me that challenge, is 2.5 million. Let me ask you as you look at those numbers, put the numbers back up. Which of these is the hardest to give? 
Which of these would be the hardest for you to let go of? What the scripture says is the hardest for you to let go of is the first time you let go of it. Because if your income is only $250, 25 matters. And so on. That's a dent. It's meaningful. But what I've seen in people's lives, it is, it's the first time that's the hardest. Because it's the first time that causes you adjust for the future. And so it causes you to go, now what I'm managing looks a little bit less than what I thought before. Or so you think, right? But don't forget what God just said in 2 Corinthians 9. When you give it to him, it only increases what he gives back to you. That's the promise. Now that's the tithe. But there's also this language of offerings throughout the scripture where the tithe is the starting place. It's where you begin. And then beyond that, God may ask of you to give an offering above and beyond that tithe. And I want to highlight three types that we see God, God asked for. The first is a special offering, which is simply giving to God what you have beyond your regular giving. A special, bless you, if, if, <laughs> a special offering we see throughout the scriptures where someone takes up something for a purpose. And God says, I want to give you a number for you to go and consider and give it back. And so we see this for the first time with Moses, and I'm not going to read this passage, but as Moses begins to build their tabernacle, he gathers the people. And the Lord says, tell them that as we build this, I want everyone to be a part of it whose heart is compelled to give. It was not a command that all of Israel do it. It was, I want their hearts to be free to give what they have. And it lists an array of special offerings. People are giving of linens. People are giving of jewelry. People are giving of metals that were financial there. They're giving of food to bring to the tabernacle. And he says, send them away and let them sit with God. And let them listen to God as to what he wants them to give. And what happens is the people of Israel come back and they give once and then they give again, and they give again, and they give again, and Moses is finally like, please stop giving, we have enough. <laughs> we have enough. See, that's one of the reasons that we do pledging in this church, is that we want you to think with God on what has he given you, and what does it look like you to give a tithe, but is he asking you to give beyond that, to trust him, to have a specific thing he asks of you based on what he's done in your life specifically. So that's a special offering. The second is a sacrificial offering. Now, a sacrificial offering is giving that causes a sacrifice for a season to see God's work and blessing long term. Sacrificial offerings hurt more <laughs> than the tithe. Because, and I'm, I've seen this in this church every single year, which is really profound, is I get an email from someone that says, I think God's asking a number, and I want you to help me make sure I can say no to it. And I'm like, let's just, let's process that. But what does it look like for you to give to God what he's asking? Even if it hurts. See, a sacrifice hurts. And there are times when God says, I want you to feel what you're giving. I want the emotions to rise up because I want you to see where money may still have a hold on your life. 
So it may cost you that vacation that you're dreaming about. It may cost you kind of some of the things you want to purchase or do. It may cost you in a moment. But every sacrifice that we see, what does God do? He resurrects in blessing. The easiest is the gospel. The greatest sacrifice is the greatest resurrection. But all throughout the Old Testament, we see this sacrifice, this giving, and God giving back. Because he loves hearts that are just willing to say yes to whatever he asks. And the last is an extravagant offering. An extravagant offering. Interesting spelling of extravagant. That's my bad. <laughs> they just copy and paste what I send them. Extravagant offering is giving abundantly to see God's kingdom advance and going all in for God. I do want you to see this one. King David, as he was blessing his son Solomon and blessing the work of the temple at the end of his life, he gathers everybody and he says this in 1 Chronicles chapter 29. David the king said to all the assembly, Solomon my son, whom alone God has chosen, is young and inexperienced, and the work is great, for the palace will not be for man, but for the Lord God. So I have provided for the house of my God so far as I was able, the gold for the things of gold, the silver for the things of silver, the bronze for the things of bronze, the iron for the things of iron, and wood for the things of wood, besides great quantities of onyx and stones for setting, antimony-colored stones, all sorts of precious stones and marble. Moreover, in addition to all that I have provided for the holy house, I have a treasure of my own gold and silver, and because of my devotion to the house of my God, I will give it to the house of my God. Forty-three talents of gold, of the gold of, of that person, and 7,000 talents of refined silver for overlaying the walls of the house and for all the work to be done by craftsmen, gold for the things of gold and silver for the things of silver. And he says to the assembly, who then will offer willingly consecrating himself today to the Lord. It would literally be like Elon Musk, who just sold way too many shares of Tesla and didn't give them to me, coming in and saying, all the shares I've sold, I'm giving it to God today. Who's with me? <laughs> Extravagant. And there's a reality that God may do that in your life. He may do it this season. He may do it in the seasons to come. Because again, God is after a freedom giver. He is after someone that says, if you ask it, I will give it. And I think he means that so much more than money. But money can be this key because there are times where he says, I'm going to ask for your life. And I'm not going to tell you what that means. But if you'll give me money, I know I'll have your life. And if you give me your life, I'm going to ask for every." peace and part of it. But he does it with such a vision towards you receiving rewards. So the acceptable offerings are around your attitude and the amount. And so I want you to ask God, what is my attitude towards giving to you? Am I an agenda giver? And I need to lay down my control and lay down my agenda to take up yours. Am I an anxious giver that I would lay down fear and all those questions and trust in your goodness? God, show me how to become a freedom giver. What is your attitude towards giving? 
And then second, that you and I would go before God and say, what is the amount that you want us to give? And all in a view towards us receiving rewards. And what I mean by that is giving as wealth management results in returns of God's kingdom life and blessings. The giving as wealth management results in returns of God's kingdom life and blessing. And here's what I want to say about rewards, because there is a version of Christianity that talks about the prosperity gospel and tells you to be afraid of it. And there is a manipulative version of that where a guy named Creflo Dollar, like that's his actual name, will preach and be like, I need to give because I have to get my third private jet. You know, like that happens. There's an abuse of this reality. And the, the abuse says, if you give to me so I can get, God will give back to you. That's not what I'm saying. Like, I've never been on a private jet, you know, life goals. But, like, I don't care. That's not what we're after. We don't, we're not saying that we need your money to do that stuff. We are saying that God does give you rewards for this. And I do believe that we don't have a problem with God giving rewards. We do have a problem with the type and the timing of how God gives rewards. Because we tend, in receiving these truths throughout the Scripture that He gives back to those who give to Him, we tend to go, ooh, maybe he'll give back to me in that way. <laughs> I saw that apartment on, on Street Easy. Maybe I'll give and maybe I'll get that apartment. Oh, that career. You know, oh, that's how God will unlock my career if I just trust him in this way. We have an idea of type of reward that we're after. And we would love to play a karma game with him, right? <laughs> karma chicken. It's like, <laughs> I'll give and see if you give back in this way. And then there's the issue of timing. This is where I see most of the wrestling in this community, is we want God to operate on our timing, our calendar year. It's like, gave in 2021, 2022 is going to be amazing. <laughs> and it will. But it may not be in the way that you're imagining. Because if it's true that Jesus views wealth in more diverse terms, and trying to manage your soul and your body and your relationships, that what he may have done in unlocking you giving is transforming every other ounce of your life first. So that you don't become someone who looks at God only for the gift, but looks at how he can conform you to him as the giver. Because his ends are not merely your earthly and material blessings. His ends are that you would become so much like Jesus because he knows there's no greater joy than what Jesus lived out. There's no greater power than the work of the Spirit in and through you as you live in this world. That he wants you to experience heaven, that kingdom life here and now, breaking in. Because the rewards are something that are present, yes. And they are for this life. But the ultimate rewards are for the life to come. God says, you are storing up treasures for yourself when you give to me as a foundation for your future inheritance. The full inheritance of heaven, but the earthly inheritance for your future, yes. There is a promise that God will take care of you in every aspect of your life. And I've seen it in this church. You can go back and look at our archives of every giving series, and we have testimonies there. There's a reason I didn't do testimonies in this giving series and won't. 
is because I don't want you to try to base your testimony on someone else within this community. I want you to go to God and form your own testimony. I want you to go to God and say, I've seen you do it for them, but what are you going to do with me? I don't want you to think that you have to do it just like they. They are not a template for the testimony that God's going to do in your life. But one of the things that we've been unable to do in giving someone 10 minutes is to help you hear the full story. That some people have been given and blessed financially, but they hurt personally in the griefs of their lives. There are some people that gave financially but didn't get back the financial gift, but got, they got the blessing of children and joy. See, this is where it gets complicated and difficult and personal and unique. Is that when God is saying, I'm asking you to give to this, he's going to come to you with rewards that are unique and beautiful and powerful and personal to you. And the joy that I get to have is I get the inside scoop. I'm an inside trader on God's wealth management. Is that I get to see glimpses of the miracle stories that he does. Because he knows the crazy turns your career is going to make. And he's doing it right now, and you can't even see it. He knows the home you'll live in, the marriage you'll have, the kids you'll have. He knows the griefs you'll have and the comfort he's going to bring in the midst of it. And the joy I get is seeing people wrestle with this and come to the place of freedom from agenda and freedom from anxiety not perfectly and not always, but they tend to come back to the same spot. I'll still say yes to God. See, when you ask the question, how well are you doing in managing your wealth? I think what God is really ultimately saying is, is your heart a yes to me? Because if it's a yes to me, I can't wait to tell you the next amount. I can't wait to tell you the next reward and show it to you. Wealth management. Acceptable offerings receive rewards. I don't know how God does that every year, but I'm excited to see how it's going to happen this year. Let's pray. Father, in these moments of stillness that follow this and the moments that wrestling that follow this, I ask that you would take over people's minds and thoughts, that you might speak to them both language of love, that they are your children in whom you're well pleased, that you love to provide for them, but also language of truth that you not only love them, but you have something to ask of them. And so I, along with this, your people, come to you and say, what do you believe are our acceptable offerings in this season? And God, would you pour out your rewards, your kingdom blessings, your kingdom life on us again? God, we need your help to trust you because it's a struggle. And it's a choice, and so give us the courage to trust you again. We pray all this in Christ's name. Amen.